You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Robert Farrington, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. There was a time when I loved real estate investing. I owned four properties that provided reasonable returns... But then add in the fact that I was taking depreciation. The tax benefits were amazing. The returns felt much higher. I was keeping more of my money. Fast forward a few years, beaten up by the pandemic, I knew it was time to sell. These weren't properties that I had the patience to hold for a lifetime. Well, you know that depreciation? To my great surprise, I ended up paying it back and more in the form of capital gains. That wasn't a fun tax return. Well, today we're going to talk about HSAs or health savings accounts. Why the heck did I bring up my real estate story? Well, I see two common themes that I think transcend almost all investments. First, total returns have to take into account both fees and tax benefits. Depreciation made my real estate much more lucrative, at least in the beginning. And second, tax deferment doesn't necessarily mean tax abatement. You always have to pay the tax man eventually. Or do you? Robert Farrington is a personal finance expert that focuses on helping millennials get out of student loan debt and start investing in their future. He also helps parents make smart choices about college financing options and navigating the complex world of paying for school. He started the College Investor in 2009 as a forum to discuss the myriad of financial issues facing young adults. Robert Farrington, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Let me start with an essential question. When it comes to building wealth and investing, What's more important, gross returns or fees and taxes? Oh, man. Why you jump into the hard stuff (laughs) right away, right? I mean, you know, they both go so hand in hand because you need your total return after fees and taxes are taken into consideration, right? So like, I mean, it's, it's amazing if you have an amazing return. But, you know, if you're losing 20, 30% of that to fees and taxes over time or even more, maybe there's a better option out there than what you were doing. And I think people need to take that in consideration, whether it is real estate, like you brought up at the intro, or, you know, whether it's using an advisor or, you know, picking certain mutual funds or whatever it is, you've got to take into consideration all of it for the the end net total return. So I want to use that lens to start talking about health savings accounts. First and foremost, what are health savings accounts? This was not around when I was in college and when I first started investing, when I got out in the world. 
what are they and, and who's eligible for them? Yeah. So health savings accounts are special vehicles that allow you to save for healthcare expenses. But we need to put like that in like a very broad lens. <laughs> Don't get so caught up because health, uh, healthcare expenses, uh, you know, you can use them for a lot of things. So, but they are similar to an IRA, but they do require you meet certain criteria. You have to have a high deductible healthcare plan that allows you to contribute to an HSA. And you're only allowed to contribute certain limits depending on whether you are an individual or you have a family high deductible healthcare plan. And just like an IRA, that money inside the plan grows tax-free. It could be pulled out for eligible healthcare expenses, could be pulled out for some other things, and there's other tactics you can do. And within the plan, you can invest the money um, and let it grow, and you can invest it in a lot of different assets. So we can talk about all of that, but it is a really interesting vehicle that has, you know, just like you said, it wasn't really that prominent 10 years ago, but now we're seeing more and more of these plans come about. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to get money into them and it can save you in taxes. It can be a boost for free money and you can use it for a lot of different things over time. A lot of people are using them like retirement accounts, which I'm sure we'll touch on as well. Yeah. I definitely want to come back to that, but first and foremost, do you know off the top of your head, what some of the limits are, let's say for a family, do you know what the max is that you can actually put in a health savings account? Yeah. So for 2022, the limits are uh, $3,650 for yourself. If you're a single you know, individual, $7,300 for a family. And then if you're over 55, you get a catch-up contribution of $1,000, just like you would with an IRA. So, you know, they're lower limits, but, you know, the family one's a little bit more than an IRA. Uh, and so there's some potential there. And if you keep doing this year in and year out, um, you can get some money into it. It's also important to note that those limits are inclusive of both your contribution and any employer contributions. You know, your employer could put money into this account for you as well. And I'm a fan of free money. I'm sure you are as well. <laughs> free money is definitely something I think very positively of. Yes. So let's put this in perspective. You've mentioned IRAs multiple times. Those are individual retirement accounts. Kind of confusing, right? Because we're talking about health savings. Part of the pitch of, of what got you here today is you say that it's one of the most powerful IRA accounts is your health savings account. Help explain that to me. Why, why should we think of these as similar things? Well, because HSAs offer... I don't know. Everyone says the triple tax benefit, but there's a little bit more than three, but there is a lot of tax benefits to investing in a health savings account. So the money goes in pre-tax because either it's coming out of your payroll on your W-2, or if you contribute outside of your payroll, you get to deduct what you contribute on your tax return. So the money's in tax-free, right? It grows inside the account tax-free. And if you withdraw it for a myriad of qualifying reasons, which yes, healthcare expenses is one of them, but we'll talk about some of the ways you can get around that. It's also tax-free. And so there's a ton of benefits. So when you were talking about this whole like recapturing depreciation or other things, like, yeah, the tax man will come back and take it in the future. <laughs> but with an HSA, there's a lot of potential that the tax man does not come and taketh. And let's just say even in the worst, worst, worst case scenario, it's just like a traditional IRA. So you're actually no better off than anything else. You actually have a lot more potential than an IRA, but in a worst case scenario, it acts like an IRA. 
let's talk about that a little bit because there are a few different main investment vehicles. I'm thinking of 401ks. We talk about Roth IRAs. We talk about traditional IRAs. Let's go back over specifically the benefit of an HSA compared to those. Because I, I think we need to be really granular here. You kind of mentioned it before, but I think it's worth comparing apples to apples there. So let, let's yeah. just look at a 401k and how we pay taxes on a 401k versus how we would pay or in this case, not pay taxes on HSA. So your 401k, your money goes in. Let's just assume it's a traditional 401k. So it's not. we're not talking about the Roth stuff here. So a traditional 401k, your money goes in pre-tax, comes right out of your payroll, your paycheck, it goes into this account, it grows, you know, tax deferred over the years. And then when you take this money out in retirement, you're paying income tax on the money as much as you take out. And at some point in time, 70s, like they keep pushing the ages a little bit here, but let's just say at some point in time, they're going to require you to take that money out and pay taxes on it. You don't necessarily get around it. It's called the RMD, the required minimum distribution. So the government says you've enjoyed your tax deferment for long enough. We're going to take some of that. You're required to take it out. And the same thing. So the IRA, the traditional IRA is the same way. Your money goes in pre-tax. It grows tax deferred. And at some point in time, you're also going to have to take it out and you're going to pay income taxes on it. Health savings account is a little different. The money goes in pre-tax. It grows tax deferred. But when you take it out for qualifying healthcare expenses, you don't pay any taxes on it. And you can save up all of your qualifying healthcare expenses forever and ever. And so you can use that to withdraw against it taxed, you know, tax-free. You can also use it in retirement for other vehicles, right? You can use it for your Medicare premiums tax-free in retirement. And you can use it for a variety of other expenses, such as retrofitting your home for disabilities and other things. So there's, there's a lot of potential there that are qualifying medical expenses. I'm putting air quotes on qualifying because it's a big bucket. Um, but then in the worst case scenario, let's just say that, hey, like you've used all of your qualifying expenses. You cannot find another single dollar of eligible expenses. Well, any withdrawals after age 65 are taxed just like a traditional IRA. So that's why I say the worst case scenario is it's still like a traditional IRA, but there's also no RMDs required. So you can keep sitting on that money. And let's face it, as we grow into our old age, we're probably going to continue to face qualifying medical expenses. And you can use that money in the future for that, assuming that you still have money in that account. Yeah. A lot of people forget that there are premiums along with Medicare um, so that you will have healthcare costs if you are lucky enough to live to a ripe old age. And often those are perfect opportunities to use your HSA. The only one we didn't mention is the Roth IRA, which people are very excited and optimistic about. But even with the Roth IRA, you do have to pay tax up front. Mm -hmm. So again, the point you make is the HSA may be the only way to truly escape the tax man. You can definitely escape the tax man for a large chunk of what you can save. Again, like maybe you are just the amazing investor and that HSA grows to a huge, huge amount and good for you. I'm proud of you. But for most of us, I think we can escape a lot of the taxes that we would face uh, in general. And there's a lot of ways that you can use this you know, money in the future as you grow old. So let's talk about the HSA as a vehicle itself. First and foremost, who is not eligible for HSAs? 
If you don't have a qualifying high deductible healthcare plan, you're not eligible. So sadly, that's still a lot of people in this country. Um, but you know, you might have other vehicles as well. But a lot of corporate America, I would say, has shifted towards high deductible healthcare plans that are combined with these health savings accounts. And so you have to have the both of them in tandem. Let's also talk about what happens if you change healthcare plans. Well, if that happens, the HSA can still exist and you can still invest it and it can still grow and you can do all these cool things, get reimbursed, you can use it in retirement, whatnot. You just can't contribute to it unless you have that qualifying healthcare plan in combination with the HSA. And so in this case of corporate America, we were talking about if you have a high deductible health plan, often the HSA is administered by the job you work for, right? They have a plan. What happens if you leave that corporate job, you have your HSA, you go to work for yourself, you buy a high deductible health plan. How do you get involved with an HSA then once you're no longer in corporate America? So there are a lot of HSA providers out there. And just like your IRA or your 401k at your old job, you just roll it over into the new plan. So typically, these employer plans are sponsored by a few big companies like Optum. Um, and the employer covers all the costs. However, once you leave that employer, you might start incurring monthly fees or different things. So you might really want to roll over your HSA to another plan provider that you control. A couple of the popular favorites out there are Fidelity and Lively. Both of them offer no fee HS no no monthly fee HSAs and within those plans that you can invest and do all your own thing, but at least you have control. So just like you would with an old 401k, you just roll it over and now you have control and you can contribute and whatnot every single year. I would also tell you, you can open them both up in tandem. You don't just have to rely on your employer's 401k. So let's just say you are sorry, your employer's HSA. Hmm. You can, you know, use your employer's HSA, but you could also open one of these other ones and you could top up if you're not contributing to the max through your employer's payroll withholdings. So for example, let's say you're eligible to contribute $7,300 this year because you're a family. Let's say you're only going to put in $2,000 through your employer's payroll withholdings. You can just make that additional $5,300 contribution um, directly into your own HSA that you have full control over. You would just report it on your income tax return on the HSA form. You'd say, what came out of your payroll, what you contributed yourself, and everything will work out and jive just fine. So it sounds like it's super easy. A few caveats. One thing people kind of mistake sometimes about 401ks, especially young people, is they think that's the investment itself, right? So you ask them, are you contributing to retirement? And they say, yeah, I'm putting $500 into the 401k. What they don't realize is that's just sitting in pretty much a money market fund. So these HSAs have a bunch of different investment opportunities, but you've got to decide what you actually want to put your money in, correct? That is correct. Like you said, the money goes right into the cash balance of the plan, and then you need to invest it. Now, some of these are, you know, you can set it up so it auto invests all your deposits and stuff, but you do need to make sure you set it up um, so that the money actually gets put to work. I will tell you that some plan providers, do require you to maintain some cash 
because the premise of these HSAs are that you use them for healthcare expenses. And so some of them say like, you can invest after $2,000, you know, after you have $2,000 in the account. And so then you can transfer that other stuff to investments, but they do require you to keep a cash portion. I will say the independent providers we talked about earlier, they don't, you can invest the full amount of your HSA. Um, So just make sure you understand what your plan says you can do, and then you can choose your investments from there. Let's talk about fees, because I would assume that would be one thing that might kind of separate some of these different plans like Fidelity or what have you, especially if you're going independent, if this is not done through your corporation, which you have probably very little control over. What types of fees are there? How is this going to be decreasing our returns? Yeah. So fees, you know, eat your returns alive, right? And so the cool thing is, is both Lively and Fidelity charge no fees to invest. I will say that your employer plan may have fees, but your employer is typically covering the cost of those fees. So I saw this personally. I had an HSA through my employer when I worked and it was through Optum and they covered all the fees when I worked there. I didn't know this, but then literally the first month after I left my job, it was like $3 came right out of your account. And I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And I didn't realize that my employer was covering those fees. And as soon as I left my employer, I was starting to be responsible for those fees. And so that really was the precipice for me to, hey, I got to get out of here. Let's go to a no fee provider, which a lot of these are becoming. So I will tell you, Lively Fidelity, I believe even HSA Bank this year dropped all their fees on the personal account. They might charge employers still, but if you open one there. And I continue to see that race to the bottom, like we saw in traditional brokerage world, where all the fees started disappearing over the last years. I'm seeing that in the HSA world as well. But you need to be conscious of it because you don't want to be paying a monthly fee, especially on these lower balances. Because let's be honest, it takes a couple years of contributions to get your account up to a point where like a $3 a month fee is $36. Doesn't seem like a lot, but when you only have a balance of $3,600, you know, it really starts eating away at your account and you don't want to have that happen, right? So let's talk about some of the HSA strategies, right? Because I've heard lots of different ways of using this account. And some of them, I have to say, for me, don't sound that appealing. Like people are talking about keeping their healthcare receipts forever, right? And putting them, making them digital so that they can pull them out in 10 or 15 years when they're ready to actually withdraw some of that money. Tell me about the different strategies out there for how people generally use and deal with their HSAs. Well, let's start with how an HSA is supposed to work. And then we can talk about the hacks, right? <laughs> so like the HSA really is supposed to be a health savings tool that you use for your healthcare expenses. So let's say, you know, you put your money in. Let's talk about the starting point though, putting money into the account, right? So it can come through your employer. You take it out of your paycheck. You can contribute directly, just send the check into the HSA or direct debit. But one of the cool things that I'm seeing a lot more in corporate America is the free money. So a lot of these employers are tying putting money into your healthcare expense with knocking out specific healthcare criteria. For example, my old employer would give me $1,000 a year into my HSA for free as long as I did two things. I'd get 500 bucks for getting an annual physical and I'd get $500 for uh, filling out like an online health survey about my healthcare. You know, like, do I smoke? Do you drink? Yada, yada. And you do that. And if you did both of those things, they would put $1,000 into my HSA automatically every year for free. So no cost to me, just a little bit of time and effort and I get that money. I think that's amazing because you can use this HSA and get free money and then invest it. 
But then how do you use it, right? So you can use it for your healthcare expenses, which is originally why this program was created, right? You go and you know you need to pay your copay. Well, you get a debit card, you can use it. It comes right out of your HSA account, boom. But it's all pre-tax, right? So you, at least this is pre-tax money. It's either free money or pre-tax money going in. And then you're paying for these eligible healthcare expenses pre-tax as well. So it's it's saving you a little bit on the cost. But people quickly realized that you one of the cool rules with the HSA is that you don't have to be reimbursing yourself in the same plan year. So one of the other accounts that's out there is the flexible savings account. And this one is a healthcare account, but it requires you to like drain the whole balance in full every single year. And it's a use it or lose it type account. Well, the HSA has this cool thing where you don't, it's not use it or lose it. And you don't have a set timeline as of today to reimburse yourself for these healthcare expenses. So again, you can let this money grow, right? Because we all know that investing takes two things. It takes time and money. And the more time you put in, the more your money can grow over time. So why would I pull out my money when there's only five dollars or $7,000 in there if I can let that grow for a year at 10% return or two years or three years or 10 years? You know, now that chunk of change has grown to a much more significant amount of money. And then I can reimburse myself in the future because there is no set amount of time before you have to pull out the expenses. And so you alluded to it is one of the recommendations is that you save your receipts every single year and you don't pull the money out. And then at some point in time, if you need to tap that fund before you hit retirement age, well, you just drop all your receipts down and you can pull that money out tax-free as much as the costs that you have previously incurred over the years. And let's say, you know, you might know the actual average healthcare spending from a family than I do, but I think our family spends about two to $4,000 a year in healthcare costs um, between physicals and sick visits and different things for our family. Well, now it's like you have that amount you could withdraw in the future and you do that for five years, 10 years, well, you suddenly have this pool of tax-free money that you can tap that has grown tax-free over time. Who decides what is a healthcare expenditure? Are, are there national rules or someplace we can look and say, okay, this will qualify and this won't? Yes, there is a qualified list from the IRS of qualified healthcare expenses. And every time I look at it, it's, let's see, it's a 26 page document. I just pulled <laughs> it up right now. And uh, there are a lot of things that qualify. So, you know, everything from your co-pays and things like that to over-the-counter medications to even like we talked about retrofitting your home to make it ADA compliant. Um, you can buy a car if you have to modify your vehicle because of your disability that you might potentially have or your things like, disabled dependent care expenses. If you have a child that might have a disability, um, like the, it's a 26 page list. It goes on and on and on. And so you would be surprised that there are so many things and some of them are extremely costly things. Like, you know, as you age, maybe you want to retrofit your home to have wider hallways, wider doorways. You want to have a shower with no lip so that you can walk in for mobility issues, like things like that, new toilets, you know, brace bars, whatever it is, those things can potentially count as qualified medical expenses um, that you can pull out and use this money tax-free for. Is there any surprises there on things that are not covered? Because what, what it sounds like is 
almost if you can make a good argument that it has to do with health, it's going to be covered. Was there anything that you've come across? You're like, oh, that's not covered, like braces or something that that we would expect to be covered that isn't. Um, I mean, babysitting, diaper service, uh, you know, cosmetics. Some of it's not covered. Hair um, removal is yeah. not covered. Funeral expenses aren't covered. Um, you can't actually get medicines or drugs from other countries. So I know that's a big thing of like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So like if you order medicine from Canada or Mexico, um, that's not covered. So, you know, there's a, a few things that you need to be aware of. I think nutritional supplements are also one, like if you need vitamins or you, you just want vitamins, they're not covered, but I think you can get around that by saying, if your doctor requires you to have vitamins, I think you can get, I just think, I don't think you can get your own vitamin and supplements. Right. So again, like you said, there's nuance to it. You have to, you know, understand what's medically required and versus like some of your preference to things. Would it be the HSA administering company that would be policing this that, or would it be the IRS who would eventually police this? It's going to be the, well, it depends on the company, right? So the, I, you know, the, a lot of these companies will kind of police it themselves. You at least have to check a box, but they're not really looking in depth. The end of the day, it's going to be the IRS that's going to police it. And you're going to get that through an audit. They're going to send you a letter. They're going to say, Hey, we noticed that you took out $20,000 of medical expenses. Can you justify this? And then you're going to have to like send them a letter back that says, this is what I spent the money on. Here's my copy of it. And chances are, if you're legit, that's going to resolve it. Or maybe they contest it. Maybe they don't. But that's how it works. Um, I, I see it very akin to a 529 college savings plan. Um, this is another tool that it, you just kind of claim the expenses yourself. And if the IRS agrees or disagrees with you, they just send you a letter. And then you either have to send back your proof or you know pay the potential difference. We are talking to Robert Farrington. He is a personal finance expert that focuses on helping millennials get out of student loan debt and start investing for their future. Today, we're discussing HSAs or health savings accounts. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week. These are chef prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hey, everybody. 
I am incredibly excited to announce that my book, Taking Stock, A Hospice Doctor's Advice on Financial Independence, Building Wealth, and Living a Regret-Free Life, is now available for pre-order on Amazon or wherever you buy books online. That's right, the book officially drops August 2nd, but you can order it now so that you receive it right then and there on the day it launches. The easiest way to do that is to go to earnandinvest.com slash preorder. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash P-R-E-O-R-D-E-R. And it'll give you a chance to take a look at this book, which is the culmination of all my experiences in personal finance and financial independence with my experiences as a hospice doctor dealing with the terminally ill and what they have taught me about their regrets, about life, and yes, even about money. I can't wait for you all to get a chance to read my book. I've been working on it for years, and it's all coming to life. Order it now for pre-order, and you'll get it on August 2nd. Now back to the show. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Robert Farrington. He created the College Investor in 2009 as a forum to discuss the myriad of financial issues facing young adults. And we today are talking about HSAs. Robert, what mistakes do individuals make with HSAs? Are you seeing anything that people tend to do wrong? I think the biggest is not taking advantage of them if you qualify. Like if you're already in a high deductible healthcare plan and you have the option, do it, especially with the free money. I can't believe how many people leave free money on the table. Like I see these more and more of these plans. Like I said, my plan was giving me a thousand dollars a year, but yeah, you do have to go get the physical and you do gotta, you know, do the online survey, but it's a thousand dollars. Take your money. Um, and so I say that is the biggest. The other one, I mean, it's not necessarily the hugest drawback, but like I love to see these invested, right? Like let the money grow. I realize a lot of people do use them as they're supposed to be in terms of they're pulling out their expenses and using it for healthcare every year. But like there's if you don't need the funds, like if you have the money in your checking account normally, I would love to see you let this money grow because of all the tax benefits that come with the health savings account. Let's talk penalties. What happens if you do end up having 10, 15, $20,000 in HSA and you know something happens? You get into a car accident, you need to fix the car, not for health expenses. You have no other choice but to take that money out of the HSA. How are you going to be penalized? It's a just a 10% penalty and you pay taxes on it. Um, so it's not sexy. And again, <laughs> though, like, but that should also, that's even a worst, worst case scenario because if you just got in a car accident, you got to take money out, you're going to have some medical expenses. <laughs> use them for your medical. Like, there's so many things here that like you could probably use for qualifying medical expenses. And you might have some past medical expenses and other things. Like, again, like even these worst case scenarios you would be surprised that they will qualify to withdraw the money tax-free. And it is notable, if you are a young person who's been saving receipts and paying out of pocket for all your healthcare expenses, one of these emergencies might be the time you tap the HSA. But as long as you have those old receipts that you haven't reimbursed through the HSA system, uh, that's still a valid way to take that money and use it. In this case, you might actually use the specific dollars for something else, but they would reimburse money that you spent already for healthcare expenses. And that's right. I mean, so like, again, there's some worst case scenarios, but I think there's a lot more positives because even the worst case scenarios don't leave you any worse off than if you didn't do this whole thing to start with. 
so let's widen the lens here and look at order of investing, right? So we have a lot of young people who are making extra and they're ready to start saving either for retirement or to invest in general. And there's all these options. So where does HSA kind of fit in the order of operations? Do we go to the 401k first? Should we start there? And then if we have extra, go to the HSA. Should we go to a Roth IRA? Should we... Everyone, I guess, should start with an emergency fund. But assuming we have that done, where do you think the HSA fits? To me, it fits right at the top, one and two with the 401k match, because if you get free money, let's start there. If you're getting free money, you need to at least be getting your free money. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I, I can't help you if you don't want to take your free money. So that's definitely where it starts, especially because you probably already have the qualifying insurance you know, it's part of your plan, take advantage of it. But I would put it right there with the 401k up to your match, your HSA to your free money. Um, And then you can start deciding if you want to put more in your HSA, your 401k or a Roth or traditional IRA. You know, they're all at the top of the list of order of operations. Um, But you just can't pass up that free money because, you know, if you can get a thousand dollars a year, every single year, I mean, and then it grows and it's just boom, boom. And it's, it, it really will snowball for you. Let's consider the fact that we buy into the HSA. It should be right up there in our order of operations. We should get that baby funded. Could you see legislation changing in the future that may affect our ability to use this really effective form of savings and investing? I can see legislation, but I do put it on par with what I'm seeing with the 529 plan. Is like I only see them expanding what you could potentially use this for. Um, I don't necessarily see it going away because I do see that our society, whether you agree or disagree, does have this huge focus on individualism and savings. And it's like why you have a 401k. It's why we're getting rid of pensions. It's why you have an HSA and we're not having as many um, you know, fully covered employer-sponsored plans. So I see this being more. I do see limits continuing to rise. Um, but that's tied to inflation. So this, this year is the highest it's ever been. And I can see those limits continuing to rise. And I can see the list of qualifying expenses continue to broaden um, as well as people continue to grow their balance. I want to say the latest stat, stat I saw was the average plan balance is about $18,000. And that's going to continue to grow, assuming people you know, continue to add to it. The money's in the account growing, you know. So as these balances grow bigger, I think there's going to be more of a clamor that says, "Hey, how can we use this money more?" I could also. There's been a lot of talk about limits increasing because the out-of-pocket max and the deductibles you pay and all these things are much higher potentially than you know what you can put into these plans. So how can you expect someone to potentially pay ten thousand dollars out of pocket a year? Because of for medical expenses, but you're only letting them put in, you know, three thousand or seven thousand into the account. So there's a a lot of talk that says we should raise the uh, amount you can contribute to an HSA to at least match the out of pocket limits. But then people know that there's going to be some people that are just going to super fund these things. <laughs> it's going to grow the balance, right? Well, and I mean, I, I think that's a, a big question because we all know the government is not in the position and usually does not like to allow people to defer taxes forever, right? The idea is, and I believe when this legislation started, it really was you put money in and you use it probably that same year to pay off your medical expenses. We in the personal finance community have learned kind of this really cool hack. We can turn it into more of a retirement account. And it is, you know, it has privileges that a lot of other retirement accounts don't have. 
Could you see the government philosophically trying to change this so that people weren't kind of super funding, as you just mentioned? I do, but I also could see it it ends up being more like an RMD. Like they kind of took a hybrid approach of like making it like an IRA, but for medicine. So it's like, well, what's the only piece of the puzzle that's missing that doesn't have that and it doesn't have an RMD? Well, now if you throw on a a required minimum distribution, you're going to kind of force people to pay taxes on some of that dollar value at some point in time, right? And so I could see these incentives coming. I don't see any of, there's no legislation. If you're listening to this show, like don't worry about it at this point in time, but it's always on the table. They also talk about like putting caps on a Roth IRA and other things. Like they do like to limit, or they at least they talk about limiting it. But at the same token, um, you know, you owe it to yourself to take advantage of it today. If you're eligible, especially with the free money, like don't let hypothetical personal finance pundits, you know, talking about like what we think could happen, stop you from today using it to your advantage. Is there anyone in your opinion who should not invest in HSAs? Anyone who would be a bad idea for You know, I think it's really tough. I don't actually, I would say invest is different than use. Even if you're using healthcare a lot, I still think you should funnel the money through and use your pre-tax money. Let's just say that you have some kind of chronic illness and you're spending $10,000 a year on healthcare expenses. You should at least put as much as you can to the HSA and pull it out so that you're at least using pre-tax money to pay those healthcare expenses, if, even if you can't invest it for the long run, um, because at least you're saving yourself a little bit. So it's like, I don't see any downside to it. Now, of course, if you can save and invest and let the money grow, go for it. But if your budget is so constrained, um, you should still at least use the account for its rightful purpose and get the pre-tax discount on your out-of-pocket expenses. So let's go to a higher level here and do an HSA rumble. Uh, You've mentioned 529s a few times. If you are a young parent and trying to figure out what to do with that little excess money you have, an HSA may be a good idea. A 529, which is kind of a pre-savings for college for your children, also might be a good idea. Head to head, tell us reasons why someone would want to put that money in an HSA versus a 529 or vice versa. Well, I'm a big believer of the put the oxygen mask on yourself first philosophy. So this is where you need to save for your own retirement, your own life and your own plans before you put the oxygen mask on your kids. And I know it's hard for parents because they always want to better their children. If you had student loan debt or similar and you're like, I don't want my kids to have the same problem. It's a very tough decision, but at the same time, I've also seen the other side of that equation so many times where it's like, parents, save in your IRA, save in your 401k, use your HSA, handle your own financial house first, and then you can save for your kid's future after that. Trust me, your kids don't understand this when they're young, but they will thank you in their 20s and 30s when you got your house in financial order. (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense when they don't have to worry about taking care of you financially when they're trying to build their own financial lives. Exactly. Help us understand what are the tax benefits of a 529 and how do they compare to an HSA? So the 529 plan offers you tax free or tax deferred an education expense or education savings account. So in 36 states, you can contribute to a 529 with a tax credit or a tax deduction. But as you know, that's not all the states. So know your state's plan rules. The money inside the 529 plan grows tax deferred. And if you pull it out for educational expenses, you can pull it out tax free. And so that's why a lot of people like the 529 plan to save for educational expenses. 
Um, but again, if you don't use it for qualified educational expenses, you face a 10% penalty and taxes on the money. Very similar to the penalties on, on the HSA as well. Um, but I would argue too that educational expenses are a lot narrower and not everyone is yeah. going to have them. You know, we live in a society today, right or wrong, where every American will face medical expenses. It's not, maybe not ideal, maybe not your vision for healthcare in America, but that is the truth that we live in. Whereas not every American will face educational expenses. And it's a choice whether to go to higher education and then you have public K through 12 school that's free. Um, so, you know, there's limits that are much more limiting for the average American than a health savings account. So it's interesting. You mentioned the fact that everyone would have medical expenses. I've heard people who are starting to get six figures, maybe even more into their HSA. What happens if you drop dead at 45 with a huge amount in your HSA? Is that transferable? What happens to it when you can no longer use it? Oh man, you're catching me on the rules here. I can't go super in depth on them. I believe you can transfer it to your spouse and then, yeah, then it gets liquidated and there's going to be a tax bill for it. But um, they are not as generous as the IRA or 401k for inheritance purposes. Yeah. It's a key point, right? Because you you have to think about how this could or could not become part of your estate. Last but not least, there are a lot of people who are hearing this that are really starting to consider HSAs for the first time. Where's a good place for people to go online or otherwise to generally just learn about them? Is there a specific space that's really good to to learn about HSAs? No, it's very challenging because you know you have your plan administrator and your plan documents, and they're going to talk about HSAs like as you should properly, how you spend it, how you invest it. And then you get to the personal finance sites like mine, Mad Scientist, Bogglehead Forums, whatever your favorite investing forum is. And they're all talking about how to hack it for investing. (laughs) So, you know, you really have to pick your style of what you want to use this for. And then you can learn more about it. If you're just getting started, hey, it's a solid account. You put pre-tax money in and there. But the real, I think, benefit comes from, like we touched on the majority of our show is investing it uh, and letting it grow into the future and using it in other ways, which you are going to find more in the FIRE communities, the investing forums, things like that. So we mentioned that HSAs may be one of the ways to truly get around the tax man. We also mentioned that in certain states, 529s maybe. Are there any other vehicles that are this efficient when it comes to taxes? Not this efficient. I mean, you just not, when you get between the 401k, the IRA, the HSA, a 529 plan, that's about the extent of the tax deferred vehicles. I mean, we can get really wonky for business owners and defined benefit programs and things like that, but we're really not talking to the majority of Americans. You also have the real estate thing. You know, if you don't want to do these paper assets and all these gimmicky accounts, you you can just go buy a solid piece of property and enjoy that as well. But, you know, there's pros and cons across that platform as well, just like you touched on at the beginning of the show. Yeah. The only problem I have with real estate is that um, the way that you avoid the taxman with real estate is that you die. <laughs> so it is, it's really good for transferring generational wealth. I think, Mm -hmm. but it is not necessarily easy or liquid, for instance, the way something in HSA is. And therefore, well, I think real estate is really, really cool. And there's some great tax benefits. If you plan to sell it before you die, you're going to pay the price. And, you know, 
I also will tell people, and this gets really wonky, is that people don't realize that you can open a self-directed HSA as well, just like you can with a self-directed IRA. And if you theoretically wanted to, you could put real estate inside your HSA or crypto, or you could put shares of private companies or whatever. That is definitely not going to be for everybody. Um, but you know, you can do these things and those options are continuing to grow. And I think as HSA balances continue to grow, we will see more and more of these options coming in the future as well. Yeah. Again, a reminder that that HSAs <laughs> are a vehicle, but not an investment itself. And so we have to exactly. remember that once we put money in that vehicle, we have to do, still decide what to invest in. And obviously there are a plethora of choices. Well, Robert, I wanted to thank you for coming on. You know, I think it's really cool that HSAs can be hacked the way we were talking about, and you get that triple tax deferment, right? You don't pay taxes going in, you don't pay taxes when they grow. And if you use them for healthcare associated costs, you don't pay taxes when they come out. There are just very few things that we're privileged enough to use uh, that give us so much benefit. But we also have to mention that if you just put enough money in there to get any kind of employer match and use it even the year that you put it in, you are still taking, at least benefiting for most of us, somewhere around 30%, depending on what tax bracket you're in. Um, it's easy money. And uh, as, as I think we like to say here on Earn and Invest, I'm sure you like to in the college investor, is take advantage of easy money every chance you get. I wanted to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life? And if we want to get in touch with you, how can we find you? First and foremost, what's going on with Robert Farrington and the college investor? Yeah, we are just having a great time over here growing our video. So uh, we were talking before the show, but we're on TikTok, we're on YouTube, um, and we have some really fun personalities trying to make these wonky things like HSA is fun. I don't know. Hopefully, if you're listening to the show, you already find it fun. But yeah. <laughs> But, you know, like, how do you make weird money topics fun? And that's what we're trying to do online across multiple platforms. I'm personally a reader, but I know a lot of people just love to consume visual content. And that's what we're trying to get out there into the world. And if people want to ask you a question directly, um, what's the easiest way to get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find us at thecollegeinvestor.com. You can shoot us a question. We have a myriad of HSA articles too. You can leave a comment. We always respond. Um, and then we're on social at The College Investor. You pick your platform. We're there. We love to engage. If you like to listen, we have The College Investor audio show. So we're trying to be where you are and talking about money topics that you want to know about. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. And by having myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Robert Farrington of The College Investor. That's a wrap. Awesome. I usually keep things rolling for just a little while for our conversation afterwards, um, just as the after show. Is there anything we didn't talk about, about HSAs? Anything that you feel like was really salient that we didn't mention? No, I, I just think, you know, honestly, I think I, I'm, a, I'm actually the guy that does save all my receipts. It's like, how do you do it? Right. <laughs> so I do scan them all in and then I save them in a folder um, called medical expenses to be reimbursed at some point in time. And I throw them all in there. Now, 
I don't think I'm perfect. Like, you know, like these some of these $4 like prescriptions, they're gone. But like when my son broke his arm, you know, there's the $2,000 bill and that's going right into the thing because that's an easy one. Like I can easily just put one bill, 2000 bucks, you know, come out of the account anytime, right? <laughs> Yeah, and if you think about it, it's a lot of money, right? So 2000 bucks. think about the taxes you would have paid in that if you hadn't put it in your HSA, right? So let's just pick a number, 30%. You know, that's 600 bucks. That's just, yeah. you know, $600 is not bad. And Save $600. Yeah. I would say also the scarier thing that I don't think we talked about, but I think a lot of people get scared of is not the HSA, but it's the high deductible health insurance plan. People see this and they're like, oh my God. I, I can't afford this or I'm worried about what my expenses are going to be. And I think people do forget that it's still insurance. Yeah. And so you still also get the negotiated rates. And I, I, you probably know way more about this than I do, but I've seen it on the other side. It's like, you know, you still get negotiated rates. You still don't pay like full out of pocket prices. You know, you still get a lot of benefits because you have qualifying insurance. So you get free physicals, you know, free vaccinations, all this other stuff. You get $4 generic medicine. Like, I don't know, there's still a lot of things. So just because, you know, you and also typically you pay a monthly um, premium or monthly, a lower monthly premium than you yep, would with for other sure. plans, right? And so it's like, you still get a lot of benefit. And so you shouldn't be so scared of the health insurance plan per se directly. But I do think that's also one of the big drawbacks, right? They'll see this HMO plan and they're like, oh, but it covers everything, but it's $300 more out of your paycheck every month or whatever it is, right? Then you see the HSA plan and you're like, I don't know, I'm scared. So, you know, it's hard, I get it. But I, I would encourage people not to be as scared of it as you know, your mind is making it out to be. But I do know that healthcare expenses are this just giant black box in general that scares yeah, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly for me, so I am not an expert in this stuff at all, but I think you also have to really pay attention to out-of-pocket maximums, right? Because a lot of these high deductible health plans still have out-of-pocket maximums. So you kind of know what your biggest risk is for the year at least. And I think if you compare that to how much money you can make through compounding with a reasonable investment plan in HSA, as well as the money you save on premiums every month, uh, I think the numbers usually are pretty clear for high deductible health plans. I could be wrong on that, but I think it's usually pretty clear when you when you truly weigh numbers to numbers. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it's it's scary. And then I also would argue that, you know, you need to look at both the in-network out-of-pocket costs and out-of-network yep. out-of-pocket yep. because they're like a four times, like your in-network, it might be like 10,000 bucks, but your out-of-network might be like 40. And that's also a little scary, um, especially in places where, you know, certain states are regulating against this now to prevent it. But, you know, let's just say you did have that worst case scenario car accident and you roll into the ER. Well, the hospital might be in network, but all of a sudden the anesthesiologist yeah, is out of yeah, network yeah. or things like that. And so it's like, you know, you're maxed on your 10K here and then you still get like a 10K bill over here that doesn't qualify under that. And it, it's so dirty in some ways, but I know like California has a law against that. Like you're not allowed to be, everyone that works in an in-network facility has to build in-network. It's against the law to do otherwise. So I, I like to see more states regulate that because I don't think it's fair when you as a consumer don't have a choice about the service providers you're getting and you're assuming you're doing it right. And then all of a sudden it's you're getting hit with these unexpected costs, right? Yeah. Sorry, and now we're going down this health insurance. <laughs> but, well, but, but, <laughs> I, I, but I think it's important, right? Because when you're yeah. making these kind of decisions, these are the things you got to think about. And um, exactly. 
Yeah. And like you said, a lot of times with health, health issues, you don't sometimes have a choice. Like you said, you're knocked unconscious in a car, you're going wherever they take you. And the yep. emergency rooms can't turn you away. They have to keep you until they have at least medically stabilized you. Exactly. Um, and you've already paid a huge bill at that point in time. It's just, you know, there's doot, 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 lionizing that out. Right. So, yeah. 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 So anyway, I, I, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think it's, I, I personally am a huge fan of the HSA and then, you know, but uh, I think you do have to make your own healthcare choices, but I, I would say just don't be so scared of the high deductible plan. I mean, why do they have to call it a high deductible plan? Like, they just like scare people, right? Like, <laughs> they should have called it the cheap person's plan. Right? Exactly. Get the subpar, subpar medical plan. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing much more of it though. I mean, a lot of people, well, it's hard, right? Cause we're in that personal finance space where, which we are not everybody, but sometimes we feel like we're everybody cause we're in the space. So yeah. it, in this space, a lot of people are really up on using the HSAs and the high deductible healthcare plans, but certainly as when you're young, um, young people, young families, when putting the money into an HSA and letting it compound will do the most work. Um, yep. usually that's when, at least from a health standpoint, you're less likely to incur costs. Exactly. You're the healthiest. And if it grows and you can have a nice amount of growth, you can use, pull it out tax-free, right? Like, you know, maybe you have the, your, your child's born or something like that. Right. And if you've let your HSA grow for five, six years, there could be a really nice amount of money there that you cannot be so concerned about having to tap an emergency fund or do other things. Right. And the other side of that is, you know, they've done studies, end of life care. So if you do make it into your 80s or 90s, end of life care usually costs a few hundred thousand dollars. Like all said and done, most Medicare people pay, you know, $200,000 for the last year or two of life and care costs, whatever they may be, um, mm-hmm. whether that's assisted living or, or extended care facilities or what have you. So the likelihood is that you will have ample opportunity, especially again, if you're married, that you or your spouse, since it, I believe it does transfer when you die, um, yeah. that you or your spouse will be able to use those funds. And, and knowing that that kind of stuff is taken care of can be a huge relief to your family and, and to your loved ones. Yeah. I mean, it becomes an insurance policy effectively to paying those end of life costs, right? So oh, very cool. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 